You ever think about how much your mom rocks? Like how one minute she could be helping you with trick homework, big brain, and the next she's closing on another house. Your mom scaled Mount Laundry so many times she could be a Sherpa. Like Spider-Man, she's got a sixth sense for danger and always shows up right on time. Knock it off, you little pyro. And don't forget when she upgrades to grandma, she can make it rain. Your mom is always there to pick you up and make sure you're on time, even when you wish she wasn't. The point is, your mom's the bomb. So mom, enjoy that Picasso and that coupon for one hour of quiet time. You deserve it. All right. <laughs> Well, church, welcome to church. Someone look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the party. Welcome, welcome to, the, to the, party. the party. We believe we have a lot to celebrate. And so welcome to the party. We want to welcome all of our campuses and those watching online. Can we just celebrate all of our campuses and yes. those joining us? And we want to thank you on the front end. It's already been echoed, but thank you for... Uh, spending your Mother's Day weekend with us. We know you could be a lot of different places, and we're just thrilled that you would join us today. And uh, happy Mother's Day. And I gotta say, I'm thrilled because we have been in this series called Raising Parents. And this is the final week of this series, and I've invited my bride up here to, to anchor this series with me. Can you welcome my wife, Kristen, to the stage? Thanks. You know... I used to have an HR background, so I feel like I should get double the presents, double the pay for working on my Mother's Day. So just laying the groundwork for you. But welcome. We are so glad that you are here. If you're a mom, man, I love being a mom. I love the title. I love everything that it encompasses. So if you're a mom here, um, a single mom, a working mom, um, a stay-at-home mom, a grandma, it does not matter. We love you, and we're so thrilled that you are here. Can we just celebrate all of our moms in the house? Woo! Love being a mom. Now, on Mother's Day, it could have a little bit of different emotions for some people in the room. So I do want to um, not just breeze past that and make it all about the celebration. But if you're here today and you, um, this is maybe your first Mother's Day where you do not have your mom here with you anymore, just know that we see you and we're praying for you. Or if you're someone here who you may have a strained relationship with your mom and it's not this... Um, relationship that you hope for. I'm just praying for reconciliation and healing in that relationship. But also, if you're a woman here and you are longing to be a mom, you're longing to be a mom, and God has not answered that prayer and that cry of your heart, know that your church sees you, we love you, and we are praying yeah. for that miracle to take place in your life. Absolutely. And if you're also a mom here who you are... Um, Maybe you don't have a child here that you once had. And um, we just want you to know that we love you. We see you. At all of our campuses, outside of our auditoriums, we have flowers for you. So if you feel comfortable, go grab one of those flowers. It's just our sort of way of knowing, like, we see you, we love you, but God sees you. And he's for you. And just give that grief and give that pain to him. Absolutely. And, guys, we are uh, really excited about today. And I'm just going to tell you on the front end, it's going to feel a little different uh, you know, for us, uh, we find that being pastors, second to spouses and parents, is one of the greatest joys of our lives. We absolutely love it. And uh, much of what has taken place in our ministry, we just didn't see coming about. Uh, we got into ministry because we love pastoring people. Uh, the annoying thing is the more people you pastor, the fewer people you pastor. 
And that's a bit of an annoying thing, but we look back on our, our early stages of ministry, and one of the things that we loved the most mm-hmm. was, was just getting in rooms with people, yeah. most of the time in our living room, yeah. and just kind of having a conversation. And so today's final message on parenting is gonna feel as if you came over to our house and we are sitting in our living room having the conversation, if that's all right. And so we're gonna get comfortable, and hopefully you guys get comfortable, and we're <laughs> gonna jump into the conversation of parenting, and what's funny is the two of us approach a conversation radically different. And so if you sense tension up here, there's definitely tension up here. Uh, And uh, we're gonna work through it, but we are excited about this conversation. And I would say, you know, for us, we love the topic because we're always talking about it at home. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's fun to get to talk about it in a space like this. And we find that it's, it's also a conversation many of you are having and many of you are interested in. And in this season, uh, probably one of the number one questions we are getting has to do with parenting. Specifically, the question people are asking us is what are you focusing on or what are you concentrating on as a parent? Like in this season, what are you concentrated on? And we say in our household, what you give attention to you give power to. Mm-hmm. And parenting, it just requires a great deal of focus. And I hate to admit it, but we all can relate to recognizing this. You can always tell which child has a distracted parent. <laughs> and so we wanna hone our focus. What are we concentrated on? Yeah, I mean, just if I'm honest, just this last month, I can think about how many times us two have been distracted parents. I have had a child study for the wrong spelling test. So not that one. I have sent a child to school thinking it was PJ day, pajama day, and it wasn't. Um, so we all, we're just a little distracted, but mine's not as bad as what he just recently did. So CJ <laughs> just recently... Um, He dropped our son off at the wrong baseball field with the wrong team because he saw the color blue and was like, yeah, there's your team going out there. Like completely distracted and realized, hey, that's not his coach. Yeah, those aren't the players. Those parents don't look familiar. And just let him go. But here's the real win, guys. (laughs) Our child went out there, didn't know a single kid, a single parent, any of the coaches, and he just went and played ball, right? That's that's the win. (laughs) I love it. He's met a lot of new people, so. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we will just set the record straight on the front end. uh, Far from perfect parenting. In fact, uh, we have fallen into a lot of distractions. Uh, We have four children, Riley Cannon, Miles, and Presley. The first three came stacked on top of each other, and the other one came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, If you were here the week I got to speak over the summer when you guys didn't know I was candidating as your pastor, I I said, you know, that's what you get for going home for lunch on a Tuesday, right? Like, that's just. I'm so nervous up here with him. Like, what is he gonna say? Sometimes life comes with surprises. for me. And so we, uh, I remember when Presley was first born, Mm -hmm. uh, we get home from the hospital and it's like our first family outing. And so (laughs) we go to Target as a family. This is the first time that the six of us as a unit went out in public. Mm And so we were over by the grocery section and suddenly one of our kids uh, goes, mom, dad, where's Presley? Now guys, she was an infant. It isn't like homegirl took off walking on her own. We lost an infant in Target. And somehow we left her in the stroller in an aisle. We went code orange. No, yeah, we left her in the card aisle 
and we were in the grocery aisle, you know, so we were on the other side of the store, but luckily there's two families in the aisle, and I think they both assumed that child's with them, but I did. I had to do the walk of shame. I grabbed her stroller, put my head down, and just slowly backed up like she's with me, but we lost her. It is funny because she was in the card aisle because we were there for everyone to pick out Father's Day (laughs) cards for me, (laughs) and so like total parent fail on the day we're trying to I think celebrate a parent. So. <laughs> We're going to make you feel really good about parenting. Yes, that is our for goal. For sure. Uh, yeah, you know, one thing that we say, and it's more your statement uh, about perfect parenting. Um, yes, we say all the time, you don't have to be a perfect parent, but you can be a present and persistent parent. You can be a present and persistent parent. Give up the fact that you will ever be perfect. You, that is unattainable. We all know who can be perfect, and that is not us. So when you make a mistake, just own it, apologize. We apologize to our son. You know, just own your mistake and move on. Um, there's, you get another shot at it, but um, parenting, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and that's okay. But if you can be present in moments and persistent, you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, you're going to drop some balls, right? Life comes with so many things that we're juggling. And uh, we've even talked about this back in January. You're going to drop balls. The, the challenge is making sure you don't drop the big ones uh, and definitely not dropping the ones that really don't bounce back. Yeah. And for us, one of the, the big balls that we are really focusing on not dropping uh, is this idea of just character and character development in our child, mm-hmm. uh, children. And, and how do you graft substance uh, into their lives at a young age? And, and that is something that... We're honing on. Uh, Absolutely. Honing We're going to read um, Ephesians 6, 4, and it says, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instructions of the Lord. Um, and this is such a great responsibility for us parents. And for some of those, you find that you're accomplishing this and you're doing it really well. Um, there's a statement that, man, we have said for like a decade for sure. And it's something that we, we say often because we want to remind ourselves of this. And it is, your greatest accomplishment may not be something you do, but someone you raise. It may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Yeah. And isn't that the goal? I mean, not just for us, but for you. Isn't that the goal that we raise up a next generation that does bigger and better things than we ever did, that can achieve more than we ever did? That is, that is the goal. And that's my prayer that in our house and in this church, that we set the next generation up, that we become the floor they launch off of, not the ceiling that keeps them down. I just pray this next generation feels empowered by us, but they're going to need the attention also from us. We're going to need to be present, and we're going to need to be persistent with them. But it can be done. I also say a lot, when you're training your kids, you need to understand they will do what, um, they won't do what you say, but they'll do what, you, what they see. They won't do what you say. Because if that was the case, wouldn't parenting be so easy? But they'll do what they see. They, they just will. If church is a priority, they'll see it in you. There, there's just so many things that you can't, you can't hide when it comes to your children. Yeah, your life could fill a library. And whether you realize it or not, your children are studying uh, the volumes of your life. And... I mean, it's just really recognizing and accepting the reality that much of what any of us do is a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. Like, I pray on my knees because I see my dad pray on his knees. I also scream at the television during the Packer game because I see my dad scream at the television during the Packer game. It's it's a learned behavior, and so it's, it's just doing an honest audit of your life. 
what are the things that I'm modeling and what are the things that I'm demonstrating for my kids? And, and we don't get this right all the time, but it is, uh, you know, stepping back up to the plate and swinging again. Hey, how can we grow in this area? And one thing, you guys, we're gonna have really four things today that we're gonna talk about that for us in this season, you can take it or leave it. Uh, God's entrusted you to, to raise your children uh, to the best of your ability. And if you walk away saying, eh, like we're gonna take a different route, hey, that's fine. Uh, this is where we're at as parents. You can take it or leave it. If anything, we pray you would walk away um, and think, what is our approach? What is gonna be our focus? Uh, but there are four things that in this season specifically we're really focused on. And they all start with C-O-N, con, which parenting feels sometimes like a bit of a con. Uh, where are my real people at, right? I'm kidding. But uh, the first one is contentment. In, in this season, we are, we are trying really hard to hone, to model, to shape, to train, to teach uh, the importance of contentment. And there's a quote that I love, and it's not original to me, uh, but it says, a harvest of peace is produced by a seed of contentment. Uh, you know, rapper Biggie Small said it different. He said, more money, more problems, right? <laughs> like, uh, the more you have, the more you have to stress out about. And it's learning the essence of uh, simplicity, which mm -hmm. we joke that we say simplicity is the cousin of contentment. And, and I don't know about you guys, we've certainly fallen into this. Sometimes we overcomplicate life and we're just adding more and more things and uh, trying to simplify life and uh, remove some of the complexity. Yeah, I mean, um, contentment is so hard. It's, it's, yeah. it's just a real hard, it's hard. It's hard. Um, and I think a lot of our kids struggle with it because we as parents struggle with it. I mean, I know I do. Um, we have to always keep our appetite and our motives in check. You know, the, the world can say, you want this, more, no. Like, we have to learn to be content um, in that. And the next generation, they are, they're watching, and we need to teach them to learn with uncertainty and to delay gratification. They need to learn to live with uncertainty. I mean, if the last couple of years have not taught us how to learn and navigate a world of uncertainty, then man, we just missed the best test there was out there. We need to teach them that, hey, life is uncertain. Yeah. Life is uncertain. And parents, we can try to control, manipulate, plan, schedule everything out. Mm. But at the end of the day, God holds the outcome. He does. And we live in a very uncertain world. And we need to teach our kids to be okay with that uncertainty. Um, we also need to learn to delay gratification. Um, and again, <laughs> kids struggle with this because we struggle with it. Delay gratification. Man, I get annoyed when I want something on Amazon and I'm like, prime? It's not prime. Like, it can't get here same day. Like, it bothers me because I want it right now. Like, we need to delay our gratification. But the whole Amazon thing, it's, it, it's a real thing. But I'm convinced. <laughs> Um, if we can manage uncertainty, um, if you can't manage uncertainty, you will manu manufacture anxiety. And that's like, oh, that's a, it's a bold concept, but like lean into it a little bit. Like break it down, go home, and chew on that. If you can't manage uncertainty, you will manufacture anxiety in your life. And we yeah. don't want that. Um, we don't want that at all. Because we live, obviously, we know, in a microwave world. We want it right now, and it's hard. Um, but I've said before, if you want drive-through convenience, don't be disappointed when you get drive-through quality. 
If you want drive-through convenience, don't be disappointed when you get drive-through quality. Unless it's Chick-fil-A. And, uh, <laughs> and then that illustration just breaks down, right? Um, <laughs> Chick-fil-A. But I, I do think, yeah, I, this, uh, this gratification, this unyielding appetite, yeah. you know, this longing for instantaneous results and reward is just, mm-hmm. um, it's unrealistic. Uh, and that, that statement about manufacturing anxiety, uh, I just think is, I mean, there's so much there that we obsess over control. We obsess over knowing everything. A lot of times, this is why we're shaking our fist at heaven. Uh, we, we think God is trying to trick us or hiding or keeping information from us. And in all reality, what God is oftentimes doing is blessing us beyond measure. We just can't see the blessing. Yeah. Uh, and he is keeping a burden off of our shoulders we weren't meant to carry. And so in this life of faith, uh, the pursuit isn't knowing everything. Our pursuit is knowing the one who does. That's right. And learning to, to lean into that mm-hmm. and, and just allow, you know, what Scripture says, a peace that surpasses understanding mm-hmm. uh, to guide your life. And think about that. In order for peace to surpass your understanding, you have to give up a desire to understand it. You have to say, hey, what God's gonna do next is beyond my comprehension, and that's gonna require some humility. Yeah. And I love what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I think a lot of people have heard this verse. Hey, fight the good fight of faith. I mean, you ever heard someone say that? Hey, fight the good fight. And most people, when they hear that, they interpret it through the lens of standing firm in your faith uh, in a bad culture. You know, standing firm in your faith in a way that resists the temptations and the pressures of the world. But what most people overlook is Paul says these things. Hey, fight the good fight of faith in the context of contentment. Mm -hmm. He's saying, hey, listen, one of your biggest obstacles in life isn't going to be living in a bad culture. One of your biggest obstacles in life is going to be living with bad character. And he's saying, listen, it's your, it's your appetites, it's your desires, and if they go unchecked, um, you have the, well, you have the ability to lose this fight of faith. You have to fight the good fight of faith and lean into contentment. And so I, I love that, and it actually flows into our next point, uh, which contentment, and then the next one will be confidence. In this season, we are Uh, We're really focused on developing confidence uh, with our kids. Absolutely. And it breaks my heart to say this, but when I, um, 
I look around at the next generation, I just see a lot of superficial confidence. And so I recently um, read a book. It was called uh, 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. And in that, they were talking about how um, the young people today, they have high arrogance but low self-esteem. High arrogance and low self-esteem. Yeah. And I was like... What, what, do you, what is that? I had to chew on it. I had to, like, get my thoughts out. And this is literally what my thoughts were when I, when I read that. I put, arrogance is a superficial confidence or, at times, an irrational boldness. Arrogance is when a person overcompensates for their attributes with their attitude. In most cases, we fall into arrogance when faced with pressures of living up to someone else's expectation. So trying to convince your child they are great in an area um, can be problematic. To say, um, this is not to say that we should not affirm our kids. I'm all for affirming our kids. But this is to say that we need to make sure our affirmation is truthful. It's to make sure our affirmation is truthful. Otherwise, it can be harmful. And before you know it, your kid is projecting confidence when deep down inside they feel like a failure and an imposter. Unable to live up to the version of themselves you seem to love so much. And here's the deal. Church, we are raising future adults. We are raising future adults. If we do not tell them the truth, when they go out into the world, the world will. They'll be very honest with them. And we want to make sure that we, we set them up and tell them, let them know what, truthfully what they're good at. You know, the Bible's so clear that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Every person in here, every adult, every child, we all have unique giftings. Right. That God has instilled in us. We are knit together in our mother's womb, right? We all have unique talents and strengths. And we have to, as parents, we have to mind those out of our kids. We have to mind them out because they're there. We just need to hone in on what, what those gifts are. Now, we, we have to be honest with those gifts, right? If we have a child who cannot shoot a three-pointer well or does not do well at basketball, we have to be honest with that, and we cannot, and I'm actually preaching this to CJ right now, we cannot <laughs> project that onto them if they have a different talent, right? Like, but we have to be honest, because we just need to be truthful with them. Because if not, this is what, this is what we see. High arrogance, but low self-esteem. Yeah, so many people are walking around with an imposter complex. I, I mean, many adults are, are walking around with an imposter complex, and the nagging thought in their mind is, I pray someday people don't figure it out. I pray someday I don't get exposed for what I've known to be true my entire life, but yeah. I've been living behind some facade trying to um, operate as a version that I was told is what others want me to become. Yeah. And we, we talk often about, you know, people praise what people value. A lot of times we have no really understanding of all that's taking place in the subconscious and how our psyche goes to work even when we're asleep. And for a child, uh, they pick up on this. Mm -hmm. And so when your praise is aimed at an area in their life that they're deficient in, uh, well, they start to question their value in your eyes. Because again, people praise what they value. And, and so if, if you are praising and valuing a part of them that they feel inadequate in, um, well, it just comes with an unnecessary torment yeah. and turmoil for, for the child. And it's amazing to me. You know, I don't know what, what your guys' parenting journey has been like. Uh, I know for me, the moment we became parents, uh, it just drove me 
deeper into my relationship with God. In fact, I would say uh, parenting arguably may be one of the greatest, I would say pain and parenting. Uh, Those would be the two greatest catalysts in my theology. Uh, The two things that have brought my theology further down the field. And when you become a parent, you start to realize how different God parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, the things that he wants to be known as is father. And right away, early on, I started realizing, man, he fathers his kids way different than how I'm trying to father my kids and way different than how I see other people trying to father their children. Mm -hmm. And I would say this, we want our kids to be safe and successful, which doesn't sound like a terrible thing. We want our kids to be safe and successful. But as you go through the pages of scripture, what you find is God wants his kids to be brave and significant. He wants us to live with courage and he wants us to live with confidence and he wants us to live full of faith and and he wants us to accomplish things that at the moment we think are beyond ourselves. And I, I think confidence, um, well, I would say humility is an accurate confidence. I think a lot of times people have a terrible definition of humility. Humility is saying, hey, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not going through life overcompensating yeah and trying to be something God didn't create me to be. And, and I think giving our kids uh, permission. And what's amazing is in scripture, Proverbs chapter one, verse eight and nine, I love this. It says, listen my son to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland, check this out, a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. It's as if he's saying, hey parents, when you are training and raising your child Think of it through the filter of dressing them up Mm -hmm. to send them out into the world dressed for success. And my question for you is, do your instructions look good on your child? I mean, do your instructions look good? Are you dressing them for success? Guys, that is so good. I mean, that is, I love it. Okay, we're gonna move on because I don't know how, you nailed it. Okay, the next thing we're gonna focus on is connection. And we're trying our best to, um, to avoid producing artificial harmony within our household. Um, and we're trying to avoid that, especially with the sibling relationships with our kids. Yeah. Now, I know if you're a parent here, there's, this happens to you on the daily, if not pretty regularly. You run downstairs and you hear commotion, fighting, yelling, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, and you're just like, what is going on? Um, And in those moments, um, for us, because our kids are a little bit older, they're not toddlers anymore, they can learn to communicate and learn to work things out, we try our best to um, avoid, like, getting in the mix of that. Um, We don't want to get in that. We are trying to force them to work it out. Because we could come in and force them to say, hey, say you're sorry, you know, okay, forgive, you know. We can do all that, but I want my kids to have a relationship, a friendship that um, they want to be around each other after they're out of my house. Yeah. And when they're out of my house, I can't say, wait, you go, I've lost control. So if I can be intentional about creating harmony, and not just harmony, making them work through their issues. We tell them, we're not taking sides. I don't know who did what. But if you're in the wrong, like, again, I'm praying that conviction gets them and you say you're sorry. Like, I'm just, I want them to work it out between them instead of us coming in um, all the time. Because, yeah, they're going to move out of our house one day, and 
I want them to be friends. I want them to be friends. I want them to want to be around each other. We're also trying to foster healthy, encouraging relationships with them um, to cheer each other on and to not be in competition with one another. Like your sibling is not your arch emesis, you know, and I want my kids to be able to give a compliment, to be able to encourage, to be able to celebrate their siblings um, and really get the focus off them. If your child cannot celebrate their their sibling, then you need to slow down and you need to kind of work out some of that selfishness that may be eroding in your child. I want them to cheer each other on. Um, I wrote this statement, as a family, we complete each other. We don't compete with one another. We complete each other. And there's, we don't compete with each other. And that, it's hard, I get it, but if you're intentional and you're persistent, you can, you can raise um, a family. I mean, there's so many families here at this church that I look around that they have adult relationships where they love being together. The siblings are adults and they love being together. And man, isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we want? I, I want that for our family. So that's why I'm trying to avoid artificial harmony at all costs. Yeah, you, you kind of said it differently today. Yesterday you said we complement each other. We don't compete with one another. Today you said we complete each other. And I think both are actually really oh, yeah. solid thoughts. You know, like I think as a family unit. You know, I'm just um, that good, guys. I can say it a couple of ways. <laughs> but, I, but I think both, both stand up, right? You know, that's the beauty even of the body of Christ. You, you bring your broken edges to my broken edges and somehow God puts it together like a puzzle and then we stand amazed by how it fits. And, and I think sometimes the mosaic of a family does the same thing. And so I think next time we preach this, we should make that a point. Um, yeah, that, that artificial harmony piece is, is so critical. You know, you can either resolve conflict or you can dissolve the relationship. And what is emerging within our culture is the inability to have true dialogue and healthy debate. We, we just don't know how to actually manage tension in a conversation. And it's becoming really problematic. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's partly why we see so much division in the world because people just can't sit down and have a conversation. And as parents to just rush in uh, really, uh, I, I think, hinders the child. And, I mean, sets you up for fail because, I mean, we've all come around the corner as like a forensic investigator, like <laughs> looking for clues, like who did what, right? But I, I just think giving them the handles yeah. Uh, giving them the handles. And I also think what you're saying about um, complimenting and celebrating, I think most parents are socialist when it comes to their affirmation. Most parents are socialist when it comes to their affirmation. And so you have one child who is thriving in one area, but you feel like you can't affirm them because you have another child who's not. And then what you do is you give out equal compliments. And when you're able to just celebrate each child for their unique gifting and greatness, uh, it allows each one of them to discover the lid of their capacity. And and so let's just be very careful there. And one thing that I think a lot of us overlook, and I would even say myself for the longest time, I I didn't realize this, and that is siblings are the longest lasting relationship you will have in life. Siblings are the longest lasting relationship you will have in life. I mean, they will outlast any friend you ever have. Siblings will even outlast mom and dad. At some point, mom and dad pass on, but you still have siblings living in this world with you. In fact, you will be in a relationship with your sibling longer than you will be in a relationship with your spouse. It is the longest lasting relationship you will ever have in your life. And what's 
crazy to me is God gives us this relationship so early when the wisdom is low. Right, so we, we get one of the most important relationships we'll ever have uh, when we have a massive deficiency of wisdom. Yeah. And so as parents, it is learning to help our children really steward, manage, develop, and hone uh, the relationship uh, that they have uh, with, with each other. And so if you go through like our phones, most people would be confused as to what we're taking pictures of. Some of our favorite thing to take pictures of is the backs of our children. Uh, we, we love it when they are playing and they're side by side looking at something together. And so we're always taking pictures and um, they would be odd to others, but they're, they're valuable to us. And we love seeing them side by side. And so we tell them friends come and go. And friends are great, but friends come and go. I doubt many of us had lunch this week with our best friend from kindergarten, mm-hmm. right? or our best friend from high school or college or that work buddy we used to hang out and play softball with. I mean, friends come and go, seasons change, but family, family is forever. So good. Um, Another thing that is an issue with conflict is um, technology will get in the way of your siblings' relationships. And in that same book I was reading, um, 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid, it said young people would rather stare at a pixel than a person. Young people would rather stare at a pixel than a person. And in our house, we are trying everything we can to um, teach them otherwise. We're just, it's so easy to get stuck here and just look and look and look and scroll. But I want my kids to know how to have a 3D relationship and how to get outside and to, um, yeah, do life with each other. Um, Something we say when it comes to parenting um, within the marriage of us that we tell our kids is no one at home should be competing with anything or anyone at work. No one at home should be competing with anyone or anything at work. And so we just want to make sure, you guys, when, you are, when you're home, you're home. You're home, be home. Um, don't be putting your job first. Don't be, make sure your priorities are in order. But um, when it comes to parenting, there's a, we can flip that. And we say no one at home should be competing with anyone or anything at school. And I feel like we should put in there, like, any sporting Thing too, you know, like no, like I don't know, I don't know how to say that. You can come up with something creative, and we'll send it out later. But you know, like there's sporting things that are always take. I mean, we have a child who's in AAU, and we love it. We love that she does it. But um, when she's not playing, like, or when we we're sitting down looking at her calendar, we're going to prioritize the gaps in the times that we have with her, and we're going to be persistent, and we're going to be present when we get those moments. So. Yeah, I think our fear of mattering much draws us away from what matters most. And so we're always trying to, like, impress people. Guys, he's people, so good and with these, like, one-liners. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> it's, I have to be like, okay, how did I say that? And, like, look as close as I can, and he just, it just flows out of him. It's, Guys, do you sense her flirting with me? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> uh, I, I am picking up what she's putting down. <laughs> See her spitting game. Oh. Hey, I love up. you, but you're annoying in some of these areas. Go ahead. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know, this last one, we'll, we'll kind of turn a corner here, is um, this would probably be the most important one that we're, we're really just honing in on, and that's conviction. And I am just often amazed by how most people have such a poor working definition of conviction. Yeah. And guys, here's the goal of conviction. The goal of conviction is to be guided, not to be guilted. 
It's to be guided. Not to, when most people think of conviction, they just think of feelings of guilt. And that would actually be a definition of condemnation, which scripture says is not of the Lord. Uh, but ultimately what conviction is, it is this gentle pressing on the hearts of every single one of us of, from our heavenly father saying, hey, you're better than that. Yeah. And you're made for more. And it's not him trying to tear you down, but continue to raise you up. And we want our kids to, to just have a, a substance. We want them to stand firmly in what they believe and, and know how to navigate the times that we're living in. And, you know, it makes me think of uh, we had a puppy. You know, a lot of people ask us about our kids, and then they also say, do we have pets? And, and there was a season when, uh, before Presley was born, we, we got a puppy. We lived in this neighborhood where we were in like the ultimate dog neighborhood. Every neighbor had multiple dogs and I mean, they took it to the next level. And so we thought, hey, that looks nice. Let's do the same thing. And so we get this dog, miniature golden doodle. And the dog was incredible. Cute as can be, great dog. Uh, we just weren't the best dog owners. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to raise small children while we raised this dog. And one day uh, we lose the dog. Now listen, some of you are gonna judge us. Uh, chances are you may never come here. back to Northview. Mm -hmm. um, but this, this happened. Uh, we lose the dog. We're looking everywhere for the dog. We're, we're going around the neighborhood. All of our neighbors, like the ultimate dog enthusiasts, yeah. are also helping us. All the kids get off us. the bus, and it's like a whole neighborhood search. We everywhere. cannot find the dog. And then we do, just by chance, because someone was thirsty during our hunt for the dog and went to the fridge, and our four-year-old had put the dog in the refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. She you was chilling. Uh, <laughs> that and, is, yeah. it was, you guys, but when we say like everyone in our neighborhood loved dogs, and we love dogs, but there's just, you love dogs, and then there's like the dog, you know, like really love dogs. It's, it's all good. But all of us were looking for this dog together, and then we find her, and we're like, they're running up. Where did you find her? You tried telling a dog enthusiast where, that our dog was in the fridge. <laughs> The judgment, the shame, the eyes, yeah. like all of it, we felt it. And um, in Miles, it's so funny because Miles is the one who put the dog in. She was, he was out the window like yelling for Nellie, like just in a panic, like searching so hard for her. And we're like, Miles, did you just forget you put her in the fridge? We, we went online and started trying to do some research. Like, have you ever Googled like, hey, how long can a dog last in the fridge? <laughs> Like we had to go there. Um, and apparently, I mean, many have weighed in on this conversation. So we weren't alone on it and we found out she was safe, but we discovered. No, it was like an hour and 45 minutes and we found her at an hour and a half. No, I don't think it's that long. Be careful because they'll fact check us. Okay. <laughs> That's what I think. But I'm also a mom and my kids have stolen a lot of my thinking. Of yeah. Me, so. Um, so anyways, uh, we realized this dog deserved a much better home than the one we were <laughs> providing. So we, you know, gave it to our friend who is a veterinarian and it's a No, not a veterinarian. She works or whatever. But you guys, anyways, yeah. the story's starting to fall apart here. So we're going we're gonna to move on. Um, but the idea, here's where we're going with this. In the same way we like the idea of a dog, uh, I think a lot of people like the idea of godly character. Mm. 
Like, we like the idea, oh, that looks nice. You see that neighbor walking the dog and it walks right beside him. That looks so great. Um, We like the idea of a dog. Um, Most people like the idea of godly character Mm -hmm. until it comes to like leaning into your personal relationship with God on your own, until it comes to actually being a person of surrender and devotion, Mm -hmm. uh, prioritizing the community of faith and really honing uh, your own personal theology and all those things, it, it just takes time. And, uh, and so yeah. we want to be people of character. Yeah, and Paul writes it this way. In 1 Timothy three fourteen through 16, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith of Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in the righteous, um, righteousness. Simply put, we are trying to teach our kids to embrace a biblical worldview and to know how to use a moral compass. We want our kids to embrace a biblical worldview and to use a moral compass. Yeah. Um, a couple of the ways we like to say this, and I know it's hard because conviction gets such a bad, conviction is so good. It's so good. It's God's protection. And it's teaching your kids to foster that nudge of the Holy Spirit. Of like, uh, don't do that. That's a bad decision. Like, you want them to embrace that and to know it's something good. Um, we're raising our kids to be people of conviction, not people of conformity. Yeah. And that is so hard. Because sometimes it's like, I just want to, conf- I just want to blend it. I just want to do this but we want them to be kids of conviction, not people of conformity. And then we put it this way, it's better for your sin to, be co- to come with conviction than for your sin to become a condition. We just, that speaks for itself. We don't, we don't want our sin to become a condition. Yeah, you know, to be convict, uh, conviction is really to be firmly convinced, to, to live with this, hey, I'm firmly convinced that I know the God who I'm serving and I, I stand firmly on his word and I've anchored my life to Christ. And, and so we, we tell our kids often, hey, just because something becomes culturally acceptable doesn't make it morally right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's permissible doesn't make it beneficial. Yeah. And learning to hone that and, and giving them grace. Guys, I, I read this study and this is gonna come with a lot of information, but it's fascinating. Uh, it's said in the early 1900s, it was talking about uh, living in the age of acceleration and th- this tech boom and the information era, which like we said in week one, our, our kids don't need more information. They need more interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can access it, but they can't process it. And in the early 1900s, it took 40 years, listen to this, 40 years for information to double. 40 years. By 1982, shout out to all my 80s babies, it took 18 months for information to double. Mm -hmm. I mean, so for us growing up, we had a whole year and a half to maturate into all the information that was bombarding us. But now in 2022, guys, it takes 12 hours. 12 hours for information to double. What we used to have a year and a half to adjust to, they have a half a day to adjust to. And so it is learning to really lean in. Hey, what they are facing and the world that they're going to live and grow up in is tumultuous. And if they don't have conviction, they'll fall into confusion. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get my mind around this, so I reached out to a buddy who's an engineer, just brilliant math guy. And I said, hey, 
Get together with some of the other mathematicians in your office. I need you guys to work out this math problem. And they came back and they said this. They said, if you have a penny and your penny doubles every 12 hours. I said, just help me understand what happens over the course of one year. He said, after one week, you have 64 cents. They said, after two weeks, you have $81.91. After three weeks, you have $10,485. Now watch this. After a month, you have $5,368,709. And then they said after one year, they actually wrote back to me, he said, you can't write the number out in a way that's explainable. He said after one year, you have 2.824 to the 217th power. I mean, what does that even mean? It means 217 (laughs) zeros, right? And that is so much that our kids are going to face daily, and that's after one year. So can you imagine what your kid will endure by the time they go through junior high and high school? And so again, to be laxed as parents is really problematic. And what we are finding as things accelerate, we are... We are moving quickly from what would be known as a modern era way of thinking to a postmodern era of way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And let me give you some distinctions to help you understand this. The modern era, they cared about facts. Where the postmodern era, this new generation, they care about feelings. These are the things that they make reason with. In addition to that, the, the modern era, well, they wanted an explanation. Where this new generation, they want an experience. The modern era, they wanted things to make sense. Where this now new generation, they want things to appeal to their senses and they want it to be sensual. Another way of thinking of it, the modern era, they celebrated the heroic. And this new generation, they celebrate and affirm the ironic. Guys, this is a radical shift that has taken place in our culture. And what we need to be careful of is looking down on the next generation. If anything, we need to recognize that the world they're growing up in, we were partly responsible for creating. The world they are growing up in, we as adults created. And so now we might have to retool our parenting. And I think there's gonna come times where I just know as a pastor, I'm gonna get a lot of criticism because people aren't gonna understand this. And guys, I'm going to aggressively go after the next generation. Mm-hmm. Unapologetically, I wanna set them up for success in their faith. And if you don't understand how they think, you won't understand how we operate. Mm-hmm. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. Amen. So good, and, and so discernment is so big. And we can no longer just resort to telling our kids what to think. We have to teach them how to think. Mm -hmm. How to think critically. Yeah, we want our kids to think critically and accurately and to be people of substance. Now, you can be here and be like, hey, I'm just going to avoid letting my kids like have a phone or having all this information. You can do that, but it's not going away. Like, if you can teach your kids, like, how to think and to think critically and accurately and how to process stuff, that's the win, yeah. is teaching them how to navigate the true world that we live in. Because remember, we are raising adults. We're raising adults. These kids are going to be adults, so let's equip them to do adulthood well. Um, so kids are going to be kids, so parents need to be parents. 
right? Kids are going to be kids, so parents need to be parent. And again, you don't have to be perfect. You'll never be perfect. You'll mess up. You'll drop the ball. But if you are present and persistent, God will fill in the holes and the gaps that you drop within your parenting. He just will. If you are faithful in stewarding your children's life, we are going to fall up short. But that's why God is so good. He'll fill in those gaps. He'll fill in those cracks. And he'll fill in those spaces that we fall short. Because he'll never fall short in their lives. He's enough for them. And if we can do everything in our power to push them to him, you guys, they'll be okay. And they'll be able to lead the charge in the future, if not now. Yeah, absolutely. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to pass it back to our campus pastors, and our campus pastors are going to make their way up, and they're going to lead this next moment with each campus. And I'm going to ask everyone in the room, would you just stand as we close in prayer? And Again, if you are a parent, obviously this applies to every single one of you, but I do believe to some measure God has uh, given every single one of us uh, influence in the lives of young people. Uh, again, you don't just have to be a parent to have an influence among young people. And I would just pray that you find yourself encouraged and inspired to lean in a little bit more and be a little bit more intentional. Um, and again, happy Mother's Day, women. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Babe, you want to close us in prayer? Yep, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible church. Thank you so much for the privilege that we get to be a part of it. I pray for every mom here, Lord. I pray that she is spoiled rotten. I pray that she is seen, that she is loved by her family, Lord. And people who came in carrying something else, you know exactly what um, the cries and the hurt on their heart is. So just meet them where they're at. I pray that you keep us all safe. I pray you bless our children. You bless the, rest, um, the next generation. And do what only you can do in and through us and through our family and through our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, enjoy your day. We'll see you next week.